I'll be reading our scripture for this morning. Uh, if you want to turn to 1 John 4, uh, verses 7 through 12, and in your awesome Pew Bible, uh, that's going to be on page 592. So in 1 John, uh, he writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, and now that not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, as we study your word this morning, as we hear, as we speak, we listen with our hearts, Father, may, may your word work in a way that only it can do by the power of your spirit, for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I want to start with this thought. Um, I love you. I do. I don't know all of you equally. Um, I don't get to spend time with each of you equally. I don't get time to spend as much as I would like to with many of you and all of you. Um, but as one of your pastors, I love you. Um, it's been a delight over the past quite a few months uh, to watch my affections deepen for this place. As many of you guys know, uh, you know there is a, a merger of two churches uh, that's been happening for, well, at least the elders think, about four or five years uh, that officially happened, you know, just a few months ago. Um, and the delight, one of the delights has been uh, growing in my affections for you, both individually and corporately. Um, I don't want to pretend to, to, to act as though it is perfect or is always loving, but I, I do believe, as I reflected on it this week, uh, that it's shown in different ways, too, in many ways. It's not just an, an internal affection, but uh, something in action. I was thinking about the hours that I spend praying for you. And listen, I'm not saying these things because I want a pat on the back or anything. I, I'm saying this because I want you to know it. <clears throat> spend hours praying for you. have spent hours and times crying out to the Lord for you. The sorrow that I endure both from you and with you. You are loved. You're loved in ways that you will never see or know or maybe even understand. You are loved. Now, as we think about this idea of love, we have to be careful, right? When we use the word love, and then our, our world has hijacked the idea of love and redefined it and manipulated it and perverted it and twisted it and so on and so forth. And... I guarantee all of us, to some measure, have that perverted view of love rooted deeply inside of our hearts and our minds. I don't care how long you've been in church or how long you have followed Jesus. The, the way our culture defines love is, has, has been in many ways ingrained in us in ways that we probably don't recognize. As we talked a few weeks ago, love by our culture, just very briefly here is, uh, to remind us, is defined mostly in terms of selfishness and sexuality. That love somehow is, is intertwined and driven by selfishness and sexuality. Love is in our culture is when you make me feel good about me and when you make me feel good about the desires that I have, the, the affirmation. That, that's why in our culture, it's not just enough to say, 
It's okay. You, 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 you can believe that. I don't have to agree with you. That's why in our culture, that's not acceptable. You have to both agree with them and celebrate it with them. Uh, that's why our culture pushes this because love is defined by not just letting me to myself, but affirming me in my selfish desires. But this idea of love is God's idea. We know this, but it's God's idea. You know, if you were to ask secular psychologists, after food and basic needs, they would clearly recognize that after food and basic needs, one of our greatest needs is to be loved. It's to feel a sense of love. We also know this not just because of secular, but more importantly, because of the scriptures. We know because in the scriptures we've read that we were meant to be loved. We were created for love and that we struggle to feel loved. And that to some measure, all of us don't feel loved. And if we do, it's for a moment at a time. Moments only to slip through our hands like dry sand. Sometimes we feel loved by a particular person. In the next second, we feel alone, afraid, abandoned, betrayed, or scared. I don't care how tough you are. You know how it is to exist, though, on the, on the flip side of this coin. You, you know how it is to exist in a moment in time with another person when you know that they love you. you. You know the example I'm thinking of. You might even be able to think of that person or that moment where that person may not necessarily even like everything about you. They may not necessarily support everything that you do. But you know that they love you and truly want what's best for you. And they regularly die for your good. If you've not experienced that, then you at least have an idea of what you think that would look like. Listen, Adam and Eve were created in love, with love, to be loved, and to be loving. They, they knew this from the beginning. Indeed, they were put in a place that screamed, you are loved. And one day, the devil's voice, in essence, says, Eve, you have reason to doubt God's love for you. You can't trust him. He's not for you. He's hiding something from you. He's keeping good from you. He doesn't love you. And one second, fulfilled in God's love, the next second, alone, afraid, scared, hiding. Now, don't be mistaken. The devil certainly cast dispersion in the moment. But it was Adam and Eve that abandoned their belief, their belief, namely, in this reality, that God is the very essence and source of love. That God is the very essence and source of love. They may not have had words to describe this at this point, but they knew this to be true. They knew nothing other than this up until this moment. That I, we are with God and he walks with us and we love him and he loves us. He's caring for us. They knew nothing but that. That love is his very nature. That acting in love is his essential character. That he is never anything other than loving. You say, well, how do we know? Because of the cross. Because of the cross. We know 
that God is never anything other than loving. Now, if you're like, well, I don't know how the cross, because I see God doing, like, it seems like he's doing evil things. Listen, that's because you don't understand the intent of the cross. The cross is not just a religious theme. It's not just something that was happened to uh, save a few religious people. It was something that God did to redeem the world. It's his power unto salvation and the redemption of his people and his world, his creation. So even the things that are happening here and there that don't seem like it is coming from a loving God, that those are all underneath the umbrella of the cross, serving the intent and the purpose of the cross to glorify himself and the redeeming of his people and his creation. The cross says that God is love. Now listen again, in our culture, we have our own definitions of love, and it's dangerous. Even in the church, love is redefined in many dangerous ways. It's easy in churches to define, and I think these are examples of how I've seen it crept or creep into the church or how it has crept into the churches. Some examples being loving means simply serving those less fortunate than me, but the difficult person sitting next to me, they can just deal with it. Or loving just means looking past someone's sin, ignoring it, pretending like everything's okay. Or loving means affirming what makes me happy. Giving me my preferences. Or loving means knowing my number or who I am and accepting that that's just the way it is. But listen, we, the people of God, know the origin of love itself. Indeed, we know the origin of love himself. And he must be the one that defines for us both the theoretical understanding of love and then the actual actions of what love then looks like. Listen, God is where love originates. There's two key concepts in this passage that that I want you to grab a hold of here. You can write down these two words. If you did the sermon prep from this past week, if uh, on Thursday or Friday or Saturday, then you'll see these couple words in there already. The idea of supernatural and sacrificial. Write down those two words, supernatural and sacrificial. In this context, there are two concepts as it pertains to the idea of love here. First, the idea of supernatural, that love is found, defined in God. That's unmistakable in this passage. That God is love. That in him is love. That God has shown his love. The idea of love is is originates in the supernatural, namely God himself. But then sacrificial, love is shown or love's perfect expression is found in the voluntary laying down of one's life for another. Namely, Jesus taking our sins on himself and dying on the cross for you and for me. The sacrificial idea of love. That's the part that we tend to forget. So we're going to spend some more time on that one here in a bit. All of us like are like, cool, love comes from God. Got it. Sacrificial. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Listen, humans... Humans, apart from God, can know a measure of love, can experience a measure of love, and can even love to some small degree. But to quote someone, human love, however noble and however highly motivated, falls short if it refuses to include the Father and the Son as the supreme objects of its affections. Such love, unfortunately, fails to honor the greatest command from Matthew chapter 22. Love God with all that you are. 
to love God with all that you are. So even, listen, even the most sacrificial person, I put that in quotes, whose love is not supremely for God and then for others, loves in a way that ultimately dishonors God. I know that that's a harsh thing to say, at least against our uh, modern sensitivities. But it's clear from Old Testament to the end, all of our love is due to God. That's why you get to a passage like Luke 14 when Jesus says, if you don't come after me and hate your family and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What's Jesus mean by that? I think we fail in our interpretation of that passage. We go, okay, well, that just means Jesus first, family second. That's crazy. Listen to the extreme language of Jesus. If you do not hate your family, you cannot be a follower of me. What's he saying? He's using hyperbole to show us that all of our love is due to him. Every last ounce of it is his. All of your love is due to me, he says. And then what will happen? We know this from outside this passage. You will then love the body. You will love neighbor and such out of God's love that's then flowing through you. And listen, God's love through you for those around you is way better than your love for them. All of our love due to God. To begin to work out God's love in this covenantal community that you and I are a part of. And then together, out of the overflow, we go and love the world. We go to the downcast. We go to the hurting. We go to those outside of these walls. Our love is all due to God. Exclusively, supremely. God. First John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is what? From God. And whoever ha- loves has been born of God and knows God. If you're taking notes, you can write down this idea. Loving those in the body of Christ. Again, this is the context, right? Loving one another. It's not just a blanket love for people in general, but a love within the body of Christ. Loving those in the body of Christ is a sign here, he says, of new birth or new heart or regeneration. Those are all terms that refer to the same thing. Here, John gives us an exhortation. He puts it very gently, but nevertheless, it's an exhortation. Let us love. Meaning, go do it. Let this be a reality among us. And why? We're to love because love is from God. True, full, real love always finds its source in God. That's John's point. And this is coupling with the, with the passage in Luke. That's the point. We love God supremely. And then this love that's from God, that's how we love one another. Listen, that love never runs dry. Can you see that? Like how loving within the body and loving other people in general, that, that well tends to run short, right? Like you get to the bottom, like, man, I just don't got nothing left for you. All right. Right. Anybody, anybody feel me? Right. Amen. But God's well never runs dry. You find your love well running dry, it's because you're loving them with your love, and that's supposed to go to God. And then His love through you won't run dry. Listen, God can deal with your well running dry. We need your well to stay full. You'll get more why in a bit. All right, none of that was part of my notes. I need to keep going. Let me quote a couple people. Regeneration or the new birth, being born again, unites spiritually dead, selfish hearts with God's living, loving heart so that his life becomes our life and his love becomes our love. Quote someone different. 
Love is from God the way heat is from fire or the white light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into what he is. It's part of what it means to be God. The sun gives light because it is light and fire gives heat because it is heat. So John's point is that in the new birth, this aspect of the divine nature becomes part of who you are. The new birth is the imparting to you of divine life. And an indispensable part of that life is love. God's nature is love. And in the new birth, that nature becomes part of who you are. When you are born again, God himself is imparted to you. He dwells in you and sheds abroad in your heart this love. And his aim is that this love be perfected in you. Notice the phrase in verse 12, his love. The love that you have as a born-again person is no mere imitation of the divine love. It is an experience of the divine love and an extension of that love to others. Here's the deal. It summarizes this in uh, a simple phrase here. If you have a new heart, you will necessarily be loving toward one another. Just like fire gives heat, like the sun gives light. So a heart that has been loved by God and been made alive will love others. Plain and simply. Meaning you will lay your life down, as we talked about before, for others, particularly in the body of Christ. Don't miss this, though. Your sacrificial love should be in increasing measure. But thank God it doesn't include bearing the wrath for that person's sins. But I would argue that it goes all the way up to just falling short of that reality. You don't have to bear the sin in an ultimate sense of each other. But our call to sacrifice for their good is all the way up to and just short of that point. Jesus did that. Loving others also gives evidence that we know God, he says. The ongoing demonstration of love shows that we know God. We are knowing God. Those who claim to know God and do not love only know about God, but don't truly know God. Let me say this last phrase here. God is love is not the same as love is God. That's where we got to be really careful. Just because something looks loving doesn't mean that it's from God. But God is love. But not necessarily all that appears to us as love is God. Love does not define God. God defines love. And our culture, again, we get that piece backwards. So whatever I think is loving, that must be what God is. Instead, as we go, as we push through this passage, love is defined visibly. In the substitutionary atoning death of Jesus. Yes, that is like a really long theological phrase, but I love it, right? So nothing short and pithy here. Love is defined visibly in the substitutionary atoning death of Jesus. Every ounce of that phrase. Let me start here with this with this thought. We're gonna, this is from verses 9 and 10. Do you understand like, like, look, look up at me. Stop taking notes or stop falling asleep. Look at me. Do you, you know that there are hurting people around this room? In this place, people wondering, does anyone love me? Does God truly love There are people, part of this body, absent in this room, that are wondering this very question. 
you realize that there are people in this place that have been hurt, abandoned, betrayed, lied to, deeply wounded, etc., etc. Listen, did you know that you have pastors that fit in these categories? Did you have shepherds that sometimes wonder, does God love me? Does anyone love me? Now, maybe you don't ask this question this way. Maybe you, maybe you make it more into like a statement, like, I, I, I got to protect myself because no one else will, right? Implying no one loves me. Or I got to be true to myself because no one else loves me. Or I got to stay hidden. Or I got to be someone different because no one will love the messed up me. Or I, I got to deal with this pain myself because nobody loves me. Does anyone love me? Will anyone truly, deeply, eternally, satisfying, satisfyingly love me? We ask that question. All of us in this room are asking that question. It's a matter of whether or not we have suppressed the asking of that question. And here's the good news of the gospel. The answer is yes. The answer to those questions is yes. Emphatically, clearly, undeniably, yes. Listen, you are loved and you will always be loved by God who is love and who wants to shower you with his love. How do I know? Because he sent Jesus for you and for me. He sent Jesus not just to be a good person on this earth. He sent him certainly to do that, but to die for my sin. To rescue me from the darkness of my own heart. And to bring me to a much better place someday. He has done the same for you. The answer to that question is yes. It's yes. Always and forever, yes. Adam and Eve forgot. They, they denied it. They, they, they wavered in their, their belief that God loved them. Listen, God sent his son to give us life. First John 4, 9 says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest. It was made present among us. It was made visible among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God's love is shown in the sending of his son. In God setting his presence among his people. God sent Jesus so that we might live through him, is what John says. You realize this, that that means there is a connection between two things here. Knowing God's love and truly living. Knowing God's love and truly living. There is this connection Listen, I don't care what you're chasing, good or bad, knowing your personality better, knowing a better, or having a better career, serving the poor more, having a better family life. It matters not compared to this. Truly living is supremely connected to knowing God's love. Those other things can be good and fine and have their right places. But what are we chasing? That's the question. Truly living is supremely connected to knowing God's love. Above all else, we must seek to know God's love for us. Listen, Jesus was in eternal communion with the Father in the heavens. For all of eternity, in perfect loving community. As someone said, God was not lonely. God was loving. He didn't create because he was lonely. He created because he was loving. So he sends Jesus into a place with nothing but sinners. 
to a dangerous place with nothing but sinners. He came looking for us, even though we were not looking for him. This world was dead and without hope. All in rebellion against its loving creator. And he sends Jesus so that some could live. Here's what he means by live through him, very briefly. To experience his cross-defined love and to share that love to others. So it means to live through him. To experience this love that's defined by the cross and then to share that love with others. Let me quote someone. It means to walk in the light, enjoy fellowship with one another, confess and receive forgiveness of sins, walk as he walked, abide in the word and his will, know the truth, be confident as second coming, have victory over sin, and so much more. To experience this cross-defined love and to share that love with others. So he sent his son to give us life, and then he sent his son to die. 1 John 4, 10, in this love... In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation meaning to turn away God's wrath or to to take upon himself the wrath of God due for our sins. But here's what I want you to pick up on here. We did not love him first. Right? So as we think about loving each other, like how many times, well, I just don't feel loved by that person. So, you know, I'm just not, I'm just going to do my own thing. We did not love him first. We did not merit it. We did not make the first move. We did not make ourselves worthy. We did not do enough. In fact, he loved us when we hated him. And something else I want you to see here is that God's provision of himself teaches us a lot about who God is. Think about this with me for a second. God uses all sorts of people to accomplish his will. He used Moses in Egypt and throughout the wilderness. He used David to establish a foreshadow of his future kingdom. He uses Ruth to show us faithfulness and a refuge. He uses a man of a different culture to take the gospel to Africa. He uses Paul to teach and reach the Gentiles. But listen to me. He comes himself to show us the supreme example of love by taking your sin and mine on his shoulders. He comes himself. No one else was sufficient for this task. God himself comes to do this. He comes to satisfy his own wrath for your sin and for mine. For his glory displayed and his love for his people. He doesn't send anyone else to do that business. He does it himself. At the cost of himself. And that's the, right, that's the model laid out for us. So here's the question of application for us at this point. What's it costing you to love those in this room? Metaphorically, for those you're in covenant relationship with here. What's it costing you? Yes, loving people outside of the, that is crucial. But again, what is it costing you to love the annoying person in the row next to you? Yeah, some of you just look to your neighbor. That's funny. Why, you, like, I love how this conversation typically goes, all right? I'm going to try not to be funny. <clears throat> well, I, I'm going to love others. Here's how this conversation goes. By giving up my preferences. Right? I'll sing this song because it ministers to others. It doesn't really minister to me. That's how I show love. Or, you know, I'll meet for the gathered worship of God's people in this part of town because it ministers to these people. That's my costly love. To that I say, how cute. That's like me saying to my wife this. 
She's been at home with the kids all day working that kind of magic. And then I've been gone doing what I do. And to get home and to say to her, you know what? I'm going to show my costly love to you by listening to you instead of watching my favorite show. Isn't that just fantastic? What's sad is we talk about costly love like this in the church as if it's some sort of triumph or something for the church to celebrate. It's pathetic. It costs Jesus' life. It costs God his son. And you're like, well, I guess I'll sing that song or I'll stack a couple chairs or I'll get, uh, I'll get out of, uh, where, where's my notes at? There we go. Or I guess I'll get to church a couple minutes early or I guess I'll pass on this financial pleasure over here. It cost Jesus his life. It cost Jesus his life. What's it costing you? If it cost him his life, so that you could have life, then you have nothing to lose. So why not give it all? How about this? Give up your favorite plans this week so you can pursue someone hurting in this church. How about you give up your hobbies so that you can pursue eldership and care for this flock? How about give up vacation so you have money to support this church and other people? How about give up your hobby horse and follow your leaders in what they think is best? Love looks for the best interest of others, not out for ourselves. Let me ask this question too. What makes us think we even know? This is for another conversation. But I just just don't want us to be so daggone presumptuous. Even in the conversation of looking out for the interest of others, what makes us think we know? What is in the best interest of others? Yes, we can go to the word. We need to study the word. And then we also got to go ask and listen and pay attention. And not be so prideful. But listen, when you walk into these doors, when you walk into RefCom, when you walk into a a, a coffee shop with, with someone, are you aiming to do what is best for those around you? When you choose whether or not to go to refuge community or small group, are you choosing what is best for those around you? When you choose to serve or not serve in a particular ministry, are we choosing what is best for those around you? When you choose how to spend these three hours in the evening, are you choosing in a way to, to in the interest, the best interest of those around you? Maybe someone needs you to pick up the phone and give them a call. You say, well, well, Pastor Matt, i got to take care of my family, right? i got to take care of my family, right? It's God, family, church, work, right? That's, I, I still can't find that verse. Listen, if you want your family to know the love of God, then lead them to be the love of God. If you want your family to know the love of God, lead them to be the love of God. You're doing your family and yourself no favors when you isolate them from deep, life-giving, costly sacrifice. Whether you have kids or you're single or it's you and your spouse, you're doing no one any favors. Lead them to life-giving sacrifice. I would say it's helpful with kids to not just uh, make them sacrifice, but to explain to them why we are sacrificing, to lead them to it. Hey, we are giving up this for these people because we love them, because Jesus gave up his life for us. Listen, I I really hope at this moment, if not already, that you and I would understand just how unfaithful we are in this area, how weak our love is, how selfish our hearts are, how much we orient life around us, and how often we really do make decisions that are in our best interest to the neglect of others. Where we make a thousand decisions a day. Back to 1 John verse 11 here, he says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What an incredible statement. God's love reaches its intended goal when his love is made known to his people through us. God's love reaches its intended goal when his love is made known to his people through us. Let me ask this question. Are you known, meaning you specifically, known by your love for others? Would, would people around you affirm that? That you are known by your costly, sacrificial love for others? Is Refuge Church known by its love for one another, like more than just a Google review that might say on Sunday mornings, they're really friendly. Are we actually known by our love for one another? Now, listen, it's easy to let selfish people and negativity overshadow what the Lord is really doing here. Now, I want to make sure that I'm clear. This place is awesome. The Lord has blessed this place. This place, I think, in many ways, is a very loving place. It is. I sense it. I experience it regularly. I hear stories of grace from other people that's recounting this reality too. But listen, are we known? Are you known? If you're a leader here, from refcom leaders to elders, would people say in this body that you are known by your love for each other? Are you known for God's love through you to each other? Listen, God's love inspires us to love others. It it pushes us. It moves us. It ignites in us this love for others. We were in darkness, and God sent light. We were dead, and God sent life. God's love moved into our darkness. Listen, when a, a brother or sister approaches you or engages you in this church, or when an elder approaches you or engages you in this church, have you ever thought... Maybe I'm in darkness and God is sending his light right now. That thought ever crossed your mind? Maybe I'm in darkness right now and God is sending his light to me. Or is it just, oh, I'm good in having a casual conversation? John argues from the greater to the lesser. He says, if God loves us in this way, that's the greater. We ought to love one another. That's the lesser. In John 17, the gospel of John, Jesus says this, I made known to them your name, speaking of his father. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Listen, loving others should now, those who have been redeemed, be simply what we do. That we enjoy God's love, experience God's love, and so we give the same enjoyment to those around us. That we help them experience God's love, to know God's love. I think part of the problem we struggle with is because we don't enjoy God's love. Why? Why don't we enjoy God's love? I think there's multiple answers to this, but I think for some of us, because our palates Our love palettes, if you will, have been so numbed by the processed, salt-packed garbage from the fast food line of worldly treasures. We're like zombies moving from one shallow pleasure to the next when we can have the eternal joy of knowing the Father and His love for us. Listen, to to piggyback on what we talked about last week, for God's people... His voice of love in them is greater than the voice of the world and the flesh. His voice of love is greater. It will win. 
But listen, here's what John says. Our love for others brings his love to perfection. Right, so what's he mean? That in him, that, that in us, this love is perfected, right? Does that mean God's love is lacking and, and we're going to now make it perfect, right? I don't think that's what John is saying. But listen to what he said. God has not been seen up close and personal, meaning his unveiled essence, his glory and majesty. Think about Moses in the, on uh, Mount Sinai, right? And his, God's backside and all that, that story. If we were to see it, we would die because we're unholy. Man, he is holy. But look where John goes in this passage. This is so good. We, we cannot see God in this way. No one has seen him like this in all of his beautiful, unveiled glory and presence. But we can see God through the lives of those who demonstrate his love to others. That's how you and I get to see it at this point. God's love abides in his people and those people transformed will love God's people. John is saying this, when we love one another, it is proof that God abides continually in us. And two, his love is perfected, meaning it's brought to complete maturity. It reaches its intended goal, the purpose of its love demonstrated to us. John's point is essentially this, I can love others as God loves me. Because he lives in me. And his love will reach its intended goal. Which is that I would love others. As he loves me. This love would reach its perfection. Be that God's people. Would know God's love. As it is experienced. And known. Through God's people. All of us. Need the Lord's love shown to us. From those in the body of Christ. Listen to me here. You could be God's voice of love in someone else's life. Indeed, you are meant to be. God's voice of love in others' lives. But specifically, specifically, you could be the one that speaks of a greater love in someone else's life. You could be the one who shows someone else of a greater love. Certainly, sometimes that love is speaking difficult truths. Sometimes that love is just listening. Sometimes that love is serving. But you could be the one that shines the reality of the greatness of God's love in someone else's life. You could be that person. We all need that person. You know, I personally have recently experienced this perfecting of God's love in my own life, specifically from the elders of this church. Their care for me over the past few months in ways that I didn't even realize that I needed. In fact, uh, initially, as God began loving me in this way, I said, no. No. That idea, that thing, whatever, no. I don't need it. I'm good. And then God had to humble me and show me, no, you need their love in this way. In a sense, he said to me over the, over the course of the weeks that followed, if you're going to lead in bringing my love to maturity in the life of this church, you need my love shown to you through my elders. I want you to listen to these words one more time. I want you to bow your heads and I just want to speak these words over you from First John. The band can start making their way up too. But I want you to listen. Listen carefully. In verse 9 again, he says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world. So that we might live 
through him. Just sit there, eyes closed. Just take a, take a deep breath. God sent his son into the world. As you're sitting there, I, I want to tell you this. If God's love is perfected, meaning brought to maturity as we know and experience the love of God through the body of God, then let me say to you, dear child, Pastor Dave loves you. Pastor John loves you. Pastor Russ, Greg, Stephen, myself, we love you. Other leaders in this church love you. We don't love that music stand, though. Other leaders in this church love you. People in the seats next to you love you. God's love is reaching its intended goal in this people, namely showing you the love of God. These people love you because God first loved them. I want you to stand with me and I'll pray for us as we continue here. Listen, I want you as as we partake communion here in a few minutes, even in that moment, like part of the reason why we take communion each week is to be reminded that God loves us. To be reminded that he sent his son to die for us because he loves us. Because he cares for us. Let me pray for us. Father, may we be a people who know deeply your love. Father, may we not be a people who first and foremost seek to love other people, but that we be a people who first and foremost seek to know that we are loved by God. And then our love for one another would flow from that knowing and that experiencing from you. Father, may we be people who see that love clearly displayed on the cross. Father, for your glory and our good, in Jesus' name.